Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 154. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 4 through 7 and follow with some thoughts about the distance between intent and outcomes. Psalm 4 begins with the superscription, quote, for the lead player with stringed instruments, a David psalm. And what follows is an outpouring of pain and suffering. The poet is surrounded by haters, but he is undeterred. Quote, sons of man, how long will my glory be shamed? You love vain things and seek out lies, Selah. But know that the Lord set apart his faithful. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Because those that call out to God, those that are faithful, will ultimately be rewarded despite the doubt, and the sleep that was troubled with worries will be eased into a peaceful slumber. Psalm 5 picks up on the theme of nighttime and sleep by what follows, the morning, where the poet calls out to God as a morning prayer, but there's no gentle awakening. Quote, the debauch take no stand in your eyes. You hate all the wrongdoers. You destroy the pronouncers of lies, a man of blood and deceit the Lord loathes. Contrary to the wicked that will be shunned and destroyed, their throats he likens to an open grave, the poet seeks out sanctuary in God's midst. Quote, Let all who shelter in you rejoice. Let them sing gladly forever. Protect them, and those who love your name exult in you. In Psalm 6, the poet asks for a break, some mercy from God. He's had a rough go of it. He's, quote, wretched. Heal me, for my limbs are stricken, and my life is hard-stricken and lonely. He describes his sleep as swimming in a bed full of tears, and yet he does not despair because of his faith. Psalm 7's superscription is a bit of a mystery. It begins, quote, a David Shigayon, which he sang to the Lord regarding Cush the Benjaminite. What is a Shigayon? In modern Hebrew, it means whim. But here, as a subcategory of Psalm, one wonders, is it a mizmor? The probable verbal root of this noun suggests emotional excess. So one might translate Shigayon as a rhapsody. But what follows is hardly rhapsodic. This puzzle is further complicated by the reference to Cush the Benjaminite. It's a mystery! It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma! The poet is calling out for rescue, a rescue he thinks he has earned, not by mercy, but by right. And he says as much, quote, Grant me justice, Lord, as befits my righteousness and as befits my innocence that is in me. God is just and a true judge and will dole out what the wicked deserve. And on that karmic note, here endeth the lesson. I've talked about own goals before. It was in episode 150 in the context of applying a metaphor to make a point, only for the discussion to shift from the point I was making to my choice of metaphor. So, an own goal, as defined by the dictionary app on my MacBook, is, quote, a goal scored inadvertently when the ball is struck into the goal by a player on the defensive team. The example I highlighted in episode 150 came from the 2018 World Cup, where, in the final against France on July 15th, Mario Mandzukic became the first player ever to score an own goal in a World Cup final when he headed Antoine Griezmann's free kick into his own net, giving France a 1-0 lead over his home team Croatia.
Mandzukic later scored Croatia's second goal, making him the second player in World Cup history to score for both teams in a single match. Nevertheless, Croatia went on to lose 4-2. Now I'm sure that when Mario Mandzukic leapt in the air to try to stop Griezmann's free kick, he didn't plan on heading the ball into his own net. It just kind of happened. However, here's where we dig a little into the metaphor and into an important distinction that keeps coming up in conversation, especially when trying to understand human behavior, intent and outcome. We tend to think that there is either a direct correlation between the two or some kind of tenuous relationship between intent and outcome. But I would argue that since I am not a mind reader... I'm kind of psychic. I have a bit sense. What do you mean? It's like I have ESPN or something. Well, at least I can never know what someone's thinking. This ties into a concept known as theory of mind. Theory of mind involves my ability to attribute mental states, beliefs, intents, desires, emotions, knowledge, whatever, to myself and to other people, and to understand that others have beliefs, desires, intentions, and perspectives that are different from my own. But here's the thing. I think I have a bit of a deficit in this regard. Not that I don't think other people have perspectives of their own. I get that they do. I, I completely understand that other people have beliefs, intents, desires, emotions, and knowledge, but I don't think I can point to a specific behavior and say, hey, you, you remember that old lady you body-checked out of the way to grab that seat on the bus? Well, I surmise that you did that because you were making a supportive statement about female autonomy and your belief in the vitality of old people. I've fallen, and I can't get up! Okay, that was a pretty out-there example, but I, I, mean, I just don't think I can ever get into a person's intent what they're thinking deep inside their mind or their soul or whatever. I just can't fathom it. I can't evaluate it. I can barely understand my own intent. Are you out of your fucking mind? It's Freud. Well, then Freud's a sick fuck, and you are too for bringing it up. The only thing I can understand, appreciate, and measure is outcomes. There you are, there's the old lady, back to that weird example, and there you are sitting, and there she is lying on the ground. So... Mario Mandzukic might have had all the best intentions in the world, but when his head connected with that ball and that ball went into the net, putting France up 1-0 over Croatia, I'm sure the fans across Croatia were cursing his name. I don't think they really thought much about intent. Their team was losing the biggest game in soccer thanks to their own player. And when I look at political agendas or policies, I do the same calculation. I look at the policy or agenda and I say, so who is going to thrive because of this and who is going to suffer? I don't care about flowery language and sloganeering. I care about outcomes. So you can talk all you want about bringing freedom to the people of El Salvador, but when you put guns in the hands of the men who go to El Mozote and massacre over 900 people, most of which were old men, women, and children, I really don't care what feelings you have in your heart. Or when you stand in front of television cameras and make statements that motivate an individual to take up arms and murder people in prayer, and then the killer shouts you out in their screed before carrying out the killings, you know, having a debate afterwards about whether you're really a racist or an Islamophobe doesn't really matter. There are people who were living last week that are not alive now because of what you said. So when the poet describes the wicked of which I include the inciters to violence and their enablers. The poet imagines a time when all those haters, inciters, and enablers who array themselves against him, the poet, well, you know, God handles them. A Lord's Day, if you will, a day when God intervenes in human history to settle the poets and the Jewish people's scores. 
The poet articulates a desire out of out loud, a wish for God to hear and act upon, because more often than not, the righteous suffer while the wicked prevail. But one day, and may that day come soon, God will smite the wicked, and as the poet says, quote, a pit he delved and dug it, and he fell in the trap he made. His mischief comes down on his head, on his skull his outrage descends. This is the best punishment of all, a purposeful snare set for us, resulting not in our entrapment, but in the undoing of its divisor. It's a singular moment, one to treasure, where intent and outcome align perfectly in every respect, and the outcome is well-deserved and well-earned. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 155 when we continue in Psalms with chapters 8 through 11.